You're listening to the Caroline Springs Anglican Podcast. Man, God has been doing so many miracles this week that uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Like, he's resurrected the Richmond Football Club, which is a, which is a great pleasure. He's resurrecting computer programs. And he's also answered the prayers of many of you because uh, we have a beautiful pool here which is currently deflating, which means that I'm on the clock, that... Uh, I, I've got a, a strict timeline for the sermon, and I've already used up a minute of it telling jokes. So uh, God's been on the move. Um, I just want to say a big welcome, especially if you're a, you're a friend or family of Sophia, Crayon, or Sam, or Taylor. Like, it's a great pleasure to have you here and celebrate with us. Um, and uh, so we've, we've been going as a church through the book of Exodus. So Exodus is an Old Testament book. It's the second book of the Old Testament, and uh, it just depicts... This incredible coming together of Israel as a nation, God's people, and how they develop that. We get this, initially, Pharaoh is raised up as the great villain of the story, and then Moses, God's chosen leader, has just, God's hand has been over him, guiding him through all these different trials and turns, until we get to now, Exodus 9, where there seems to be this clash that's been building up over the last nine chapters where Pharaoh, the great villain of the peace, has set himself up against Yahweh, the God of Israel. And there's this cosmic clash between them over who's going to win, whose authority is going to win, whose power is going to win. And so we come to Exodus 9 now. And it's really interesting because Pharaoh, he sets himself as this cosmic king, this creator who rules over not just Egypt, but over the earth. And the interesting thing is that he's actually a lot like we are. Not in that we set ourselves up as kings against God, but he's actually quite modern in his thinking. Or maybe we're very ancient. See, for Pharaoh, Pharaoh grew up in a pluralistic culture. That is, they had lots of gods in Egypt. And so it wasn't a great shock for him that Israel had another god. It wasn't a great shock to him that Israel had a god that spoke to them and did miracles and did incredible things. That wasn't a shock for him. It wasn't surprising. In fact, it would be quite like my Hindu friends thinking about my faith. Of course you have a god. That makes sense. We have lots of gods too. See, Egypt had 114 different gods that different people would pray to or serve or sacrifice things for. No, the problem for Pharaoh wasn't that Israel had a god that they worshipped, that they served, that they sacrificed for. The issue for Pharaoh, and most likely the issue for us, is simply the fact that Pharaoh did not like the authority that Israel's god had over him. See, we, we come to the plagues in Exodus 9 and 8 and 10 and 11, and they're really just answers to a question that Pharaoh has been asking from Exodus chapter 5. See, in the start of Exodus chapter 5, Pharaoh replies to Moses and, in fact, replies to God, Who are you, the Lord, that I should obey your voice? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Pharaoh is not upset that Israel has a God. He's not upset that they worship him or that, that they hear from him or that they serve him. He's upset that this God of Israel is now telling him to do something. And just like that, we are very much like Pharaoh. 
We're quite content to have a God in heaven who oversees everything, who knows us, who loves us. But as soon as that God starts impinging upon us, we start to have issues and problems. Well, God, actually, here's my list of things I don't want you to touch. Look, I'm happy to go to church. I'm happy to sing a song. I'm happy to get baptized or confirmed once upon a time. But I I don't really want to serve you. I don't want to do all this stuff. Just leave this list alone. I think... We and Pharaoh share a lot in common. See, instead of joyful submission to God, instead we are very much like Pharaoh. Instead of serving him, joyfully singing, praising, making all of life all about Jesus, see, our real cry is the cry of Invictus, which is a poem by William Ernst Hem, uh, not Hemway, Henley. Oh, so close. This is his poem, Invictus. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This is our, this is our song. This is Pharaoh's song. This is our song. This is our jam. You put a beat behind this. You get, like, see it in a 30-second video as you head to the gym. Like, you get amped up. Like, I'm on board with this. You put it in a video clip. Like, ah, I'm going to be pumped. 110 kilos is nothing that day. Right? You put this behind a hip-hop beat, and suddenly we slow it, even though all the evidence is to the contrary. I have so much evidence that I am not the captain of my ship, that I am not the master of my soul, and yet I so easily swallow this lie. That's the lie of Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The supreme overestimation of our abilities that lands us in the same place of Pharaoh, juxtaposed against God. So we're going to be looking through the plagues today. First through the plague of the cattle, then the plague of the boils, and then the plague of the hail. And before I, we, we head into it, I want to pray for us. I think God has something important to share with us. So if you want to bow your heads or assume whatever preposition works for you, I'm going to pray for us now. Father, we we confess that often we are like Pharaoh, saying, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I, I pray that you reveal yourself to us this morning, that you reveal yourself in the scriptures, that you reveal yourself in the songs we sing and in the baptisms that we're about to witness, that you reveal yourself as the captain of the ship, that we see you as big and glorious and majestic and good. Father, I pray you do this. For your glory and for our good, please fill us with your Holy Spirit to worship you today. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the way that we usually work at this church is that we read through a bit of a section, then I'll comment on it, and we'll, we'll move back and forth like that. And so if you make sure you've got your Bibles on you. We'll be jumping around the text a little bit. That's okay. So if you want to start at chapter 9, I'll start reading. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go that, so that they may worship me. 
If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, on your donkeys, on your camels, and on your cattle, on your sheep, and on your goats. Here's the interesting thing. So there's this familiar refrain, let my people go so they, they may serve me, that may worship me, that they should sacrifice for me. Pharaoh, you need to let Israel go. You need to let them go. And Pharaoh keeps coming back at them, but it seems that there's this escalation in Exodus 9. See, at the, the, the back end of Exodus chapter 8, the magicians that the Pharaoh has in his field start realizing something. See, they start realizing that actually God's the one who's in control after all. And in fact, they use this term after the last plague, which was the plague of the gnats and of the flies. And they say that the finger of the Lord was at work. Exodus 8, 19. This is the finger of God. But do you note the escalation now in Exodus chapter 9? It says, if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague. There's an escalation here. The finger of the Lord was at work, and now the hand of God is about to deliver justice as Pharaoh is unrepentant and unwilling to listen. It's time. Some commentators and theologians have um, tried to make parallels between the plagues and Egyptian gods, showing that as, uh, as the plagues come through, they actually reveal the inadequacy of all these different gods that Egypt had, and indeed this could be one of them. Hathor was the mother and sky goddess, and she had the form of a cow. There wasn't very many good pictures of her, so I couldn't put her up. Um, unfortunately, they all came from dodgy... Uh, History Channel movies, um, and they weren't, they weren't very good, so I haven't put it up. Um, so, but that's interesting to note. The gods of Egypt have been shown to be inadequate, and it seems to be this war between Pharaoh's power and God's power. Pharaoh's power is being shown to be insufficient. So what happens? The Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt. There's a, there's a, a casting out. There's a two groups, Israel and Egypt. There's God's people and those who are not of God's people. So that's interesting to note. And then five, the Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. I just, I just think what it would have been like to have that kind of job. Pharaoh's standing in opposition to this Yahweh, the God of Israel, and he said he's going to do incredible things. He's going to bring judgment. The cattle are going to die. And then he sends someone out to find out that none of Israel's sheep have died. None of Israel's cattle have died. None of their goats, none of their camels, nothing has passed away. And yet you come to Egypt and there's just devastation and death everywhere you look. Imagine reporting back to someone who says he's God. Imagine what that would have felt like. I would have been fearing for my life. And yet what does it say in verse 7? He found that not one of the animals of the Israelites had died, yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. 
just something to note. There's this interesting interplay between Pharaoh hardening his heart, being unyielding, being unwilling to do anything, and God being in control and hardening his heart. We're going we're to pick that up in a bit. So I just want to, want to make note of that. So then it goes on to the plague of the boils in verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take a handful of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on the people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and they stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. This is an interesting escalation as well. See, beforehand, all of the plagues had happened on things around the Egyptians. Frogs had come, the Nile had turned to blood, the sky had gone dark, and gnats and flies had come, but nothing had actually happened to the people of Egypt. There was all these warnings around them, but nothing had happened, and suddenly, They wake up and they're covered with boils. Intensely painful boils all over their skin. I can just imagine waking up as an Egyptian going, what is going on? Pharaoh, what are you doing? You won't let these people go and yet now our cattle are dead and there's boils everywhere. And it's interesting to note, what does is, what is Lord say to Moses and Aaron? Take handfuls of soot from a furnace or a kiln and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. There's this interplay because it's Old Testament judgment, measure for a measure. See, Moses and Aaron are taking soot from the kiln, from the, from the fireplace, from the furnace of the same place that they had to make bricks for Pharaoh. In all the same ways that that Moses and Aaron and the Israelites had to slave and serve, now God is using that as a measure of justice against Egypt. The very same slavery that was killing Israel, that was killing the slaves, is now being used to afflict Pharaoh and Egypt. Old Testament judgment, measure for a measure, eye for an eye. Interesting. Verse 11. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. This is, this is crazy. See, the magicians started out with great power, with great confidence. See, Moses had a staff that he turned to a snake, and the magicians said, well, we can do that as well. They, make, they turn a staff into a snake. Moses' snake eats their snake. You sort of go, okay, well, you know, the magicians can do some things, but obviously they can't do everything. They're not super powerful. And then suddenly, when it comes to the Nile, they can't reverse what Moses and the Lord had done. Last week in Exodus chapter 8, we revealed that magicians couldn't do anything, that the finger of the Lord was upon them. And this time, they can't even speak. They've been based in a battle against God and his people, and now they can't even speak. The boils have afflicted to the point that they cannot stand before Moses. This is what happens when you're opposing the Lord. 
And again in verse 12, what do we see? The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Pharaoh had hardened his heart, unwielding, unwilling, undesiring to obey God. And what happens next? God has hardened his heart. God is in control of the situation. He's sovereign. He's powerful. There's this interesting interplay here. Okay. Let's read out a bit of the seventh plague. The plague of the hail. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. There's this sense of foreboding. God, he's not just saying, go hang out with Moses, tell him that you need to let him go. You need to wake up early. It's a morning thing. You need to do it as first importance. Something's about to go down. And I want to zoom in on verses 14 and 16. If you have a Bible, I want you to be looking at it because this is the crux. This is the center of the passage. So from 14, it says this, This time I will send the full force of my plagues against you, against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. This time, God's power is about to be on full display. There's an interesting Hebrew term there, that when it says, this time I'll send the full force of my plagues against you, what it's really sort of getting at is that I'm going to send the full force of this plague against your heart. But it's not just on Pharaoh, it's at his deepest, centermost being. Something's about to go down in Egypt. God's about to display something to him. And it's not just going to be against his people. It's not just going to be on Pharaoh. It's going to be against his heart. It's going to strike him. And what do we see? God's about to unleash the heavens. The very worst storm that has ever happened in all of Egypt's history is about to be unleashed as a polemic against the power of Pharaoh. You are unable to save your nation. And it's interesting because Pharaoh, throughout the book of Exodus, has set himself up as this cosmic king. He's not just the ruler. He's not just the leader. He's God. And God reveals to him something that he should have known all along. By now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth, but I've raised you up for this purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, you declare, who are you, the Lord, that I should obey your voice? But your very life is held in my hands. If I so wished, I could just splatter you from the earth. I could remove you. The only reason that you are still alive, the only reason that Egypt is still here is because I am using you for my glory, for our people's good. The only reason you're alive is because of my mercy. You're not caught up in a cosmic clash against me, Pharaoh. You have been found wanting, and I am using you for my purposes. And that's the interesting thing. Pharaoh sets himself as king. Christ, uh, God 
humbles him and he uses him. Make no mistake, this has worldwide implications. This isn't just a renegade, a renegade ragtag group of Israel slaves who are being set free. This has worldwide implications for everything. God is using Pharaoh to declare the goodness of his name, the greatness of his power, his power over all things for all of time. There's a reason that Israel celebrated the exodus time and time again. They had seasons, they had festivals, they had parties to celebrate all the things that God had done because it revealed that God was in control, that he was sovereign and that he was using it for their good. And then we get to a warning. We're going to pick it up from verse 17. You still set yourself against my people and you will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the, in, in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person, an animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. There's an interesting thing happening here. Even in Egypt, there are people who are fearing the word of the Lord. We know that not only Israel left when in the Exodus, when they were cast out by Pharaoh, there were Egyptians who left as well. There were an unnamed mass who came with them. There were people in Pharaoh's courts who feared the word of the Lord. And it's interesting, the warning that comes down, if you do what I obey, you will be safe, you'll be kept safe, you will have no harm. But if you do not, watch out. And here's the reality, that is still the same thing for us today. There are people who will come to church every week, who will come to church at Christmas, who will read the Bible, who will pray, they will hear the word of the Lord and do nothing about it. God's warning is watch out. Like This is real. My justice, my anger, they are real things. Watch out. So we move on. 22. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt on people, on animals, on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord said, thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground so that the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail, throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Interesting, wasn't it? The Lord's fruition has come true. The Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay anymore. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail. 
so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were destroyed, since the barley had, he- had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Those things were out in the field. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and the hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said. It's interesting that there's been building up to this, that there's an increasing escalation of the plagues, of God, Yahweh, revealing his wrath and justice and anger against Pharaoh. And you're just waiting to the moment till Pharaoh realizes that he's in a contest he's about to lose. That he should just let them go. And so we find in verse 27, right? Verse 28, sorry. I was right. 27 and 28. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Finally, there's some repentance. Finally, there's a measure of humility by Pharaoh realizing that actually he's put himself in the wrong place. I'm going to let you go. The Lord is in the right. But it is short-lived. When Pharaoh saw the rain and hail and thunder had stopped in verse 34, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. Pharaoh's heart was hard. He would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said throughout Moses, through Moses. Here's the interesting thing. We are like Pharaoh in many, many ways. We like to play games with God. We like to say, yes, God, you're great, whatever. But as soon as he impinges upon our freedom, we say, no, 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 no. Let me just, let me just draw back. Let me draw back. And that's what, that's what Pharaoh is doing. He's realized that he's in a contest he's going to lose. He's realized that Yahweh, the king of Hebrews, the king of Israel, the, the God man, right? He's, he's realized that he was right and then as soon as the warning and the judgment fade, he just pulls back. He belittles God's name. He says, God, I know that you're in the right. I know that you're powerful. I know that this has cost me great things, but I don't care. I'm pulling back. My heart is hard towards you. And the reality, friends, is that we're in the same position as Pharaoh because there is an infinite almighty, all-powerful, all-loving creator God who created all things for his good and for his glory, and we constantly belittle his name. We constantly belittle his glory. Right? We are the people who say, I am the master of this ship. I am the captain of my soul. I want to do my own thing, my own way. God, you can be a part of it, but you cannot control this ship. Right? Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? That's my question. Right? That's the cry of everyone who hasn't been united with Christ. 
Right? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? We fail to acknowledge his goodness. We fail to acknowledge his greatness. We fail to acknowledge his majesty, his sovereignty. And we do so with the same voice that he gave us, with the lungs that he upholds, with the life that he created. Right? How does this work? So what does a just, right, and holy God do? He pours out his anger against injustice and against the belittling of his name. Against Pharaoh, what did he do? He warned him and then he brought down his full justice upon the weight of Egypt and he crushed him. He crushed them. Pharaoh and his people were crushed. And what does God do with us? Because just like Pharaoh, we have belittled his name, belittled his glory. We are the captain of our own ship. Well, he sends Jesus, the son, onto earth to live a perfect life. And he gathers all of the wrath and all of the justice and all of his anger against every belittlement of his name. And he pours it out on him and he crushes him. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? This is the reality of the situation. The hail, the storms, the flies, the death, right? that should have been me. The nails, the whips, the cross, the death, that should have been my place. And yet Christ stands in my place. That's the gospel, right? In the same way that God has enacted justice against Pharaoh, he's enacted justice against Jesus so that I might be free. That's the good news, friends. We're in the same place as Pharaoh. Because what God has done is gathered up all of his wrath, all of his anger against the belittlement of his name. He pours it out on Jesus and he kills him. And then he raises him from the dead. And the very same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in those who believe in Christ the King. We have a right standing with God that is not based on what we do. It is not based on what we say. It's not based on what we watch on TV or what we don't watch, what we do or don't do. It's a right standing that's based on Jesus Christ alone, our trust in Him. We say by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing but Him will save. And here's the thing. All the foibles that keep us from church, our pride, our anger, our lusts, our impurities, right? They can't be fixed. It doesn't matter how hard you try, how, how much you clench your fist, they can't be fixed. Only Jesus saves. You cannot clean yourself up enough. You cannot wash yourself clean. Jesus does that. You don't have the power of life or death. You don't have anything. You can't resurrect anything. You can't protect Egypt. You can't protect yourself. Christ can. And that's why when we come to baptizing these four young teens, we don't celebrate them. We don't get to hear about all their great accomplishments and about how their sports, uh, I don't know, whatever, trophies. We don't hear about their riding awards, right? We celebrate that Christ the King has died for them and that they are alive indeed. 
So I'm going to pray in a moment. But here's the thing. All of us are like Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? God has revealed himself as sovereign, creator, majestic king. And the, the question honestly is, will you, will you follow him? Will you follow Jesus? Or will you harden your hearts in the same way that Pharaoh did? So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing some songs. Father, we confess our inadequacy before you. We confess that we are inadequate, we are insufficient, that we set ourselves up as the captain of the ship, as the master of our soul, and yet we cannot captain anything. We are saved by your sacrifice alone. That even though you deservedly should have sent the hail, the gnats, the flies, the boils, the cross, the whip, the death, all of it upon us. And yet you sent your son so that I might be free. Father, I pray knowing that I am unable to convince anyone of your worth, but you are. So I pray right now for the congregation in front of me. I pray that you change hearts, that you change minds, that you fill people with your spirit. Father, we do this knowing that you are great and powerful and that we are saved by the name of Jesus alone. We pray in his name. Amen.